Maybe you met Luis when he was here back in May. Luis was born in Ecuador. His parents were troubled and abusive, and consequently, Luis bounced around into the different households of his relatives. A kind uncle living in New York City secured a one-way plane ticket for Luis to come to New York City to live with him and got him a passport. Luis fled an orphanage in Ecuador and made it to the airport just in time for the flight. He was only 14 years old. He landed in New York not speaking a word of English and parked himself on a bench out in front of the airport waiting for his kind uncle to pick him up. But when night fell, the uncle had not arrived. He waited there on the bench for several more days, anticipating that there had been some miscommunication that his uncle would eventually come. But he got hungry, and he began looking inside the airport and noticing that many of the tourists ate quickly and left food behind on their trays, and so he would sneak in and steal some of the leftover food to nourish him until one of the owners of the restaurants in the airport caught him and explained to him that he could come in and wash dishes for the privilege of stealing, well, taking the leftover food. Finally, that restaurant owner took compassion on him and took him into the city, into New York City, and found a small storeroom where Luis could sleep just really big enough for him to lay down on a piece of cardboard at night. The friend eventually brought him blankets, and Luis began looking around the neighborhood until he discovered an English class for the community, and he began going to the English class, but when he showed up, the teacher explained to him that this class was only for adults, and at only 14 years of age, he couldn't come in. So he sat in the hallway and strained to listen to the English lessons. He became the best student in the class, tutoring the adults in their English. He just wanted to learn enough English so that he could explain this phone number in his pocket belonged to his uncle, and if they could just call his uncle, all would be well. Eventually, he explained that in English, and they called his uncle only to learn that one day before Luis arrived in New York, his uncle had had a massive heart attack and died. Luis tried to enroll in the local high school, but they said, you don't have enough English. So he went back to the local community class and studied English some more, finally getting to sit inside the classroom now. Eventually, he completed high school, and a teacher there in the high school helped him apply for college and for college scholarships. And he graduated from Columbia University in New York and began a 15-year career with IBM. One day, IBM needed someone to go to Ecuador on a short-term assignment, and he raised his hand. And he went back to Ecuador, and he fell in love, and he started his own business. And he came back here to the United States just recently with his wife, who directs one of our Disciples of Christ mission partnerships. And he was here at our church in Kansas City. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, 
I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Luis knows that firsthand. He was lost and alone. And God's comfort and God's hope came to him through the friendship of a restaurant owner at the airport and an English teacher and a high school teacher, friends along the way who opened for him the gateway to a whole new life. But honestly, you and I, we've never been alone on an airport bench in a foreign land without a dime. So how is it that God could be our shepherd? Sheep are unable to defend themselves against predators. Their only recourse is to huddle together with the other sheep or to trust in the shepherd to keep them safe. We don't really see ourselves as one of those lost sheep. The psalm was written, though, for folks who knew what it felt like to be lost. The Israelites who first sang Psalm 23 had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, eating manna from heaven, but only enough food that God provided for them for one day. They who sang this psalm originally were the people of God who had fled the oppressive Pharaoh by way of the parted Red Sea with Moses. They were people who knew what it felt like to be scared, really scared. Maybe those ancient folks are a good blueprint for you and me in those moments when we feel scared. Scholar and writer Craig Barnes reminds us that even we have moments when we feel scared, when the phone rings in the middle of the night and it's the police, when the letter on the kitchen table says, I'm not coming back. I think of my friend Jim in California who spent 21 years working for a company that he loved, always going above and beyond to do what his clients needed to reach out and help his coworkers. When he found out that a new CEO was coming in and taking over, he was enthusiastic about the new direction the company might go, and then he discovered that the new CEO was taking advantage of the female employees. When my friend Jim reported the misconduct to the Human Resources Department, he was quickly, within a couple of weeks, downsized right out of a job. Though my friend will be financially okay, he was devastated to learn that doing the right thing is not always rewarded. He feels like a sheep that has strayed. You know, for many of us, life looks pretty good from the outside looking in at us. We we appear to have our lives in order. We have jobs and families and friends and some measure of financial stability. But all of that may hide that we are in a relationship that has provided more hurt than joy. Some of us meander through a dark valley called addiction wondering if we will ever find our way back to the flock. Some of us hope and pray that no one will notice our feelings of inadequacy, not quite 
pretty enough, or smart enough, or wealthy enough to please the one whose judgment seems so harsh. The truth is that to be human and to live in community means that we inevitably find ourselves lost like a sheep, unable to fix life's problems alone. Psychologist Rolla May writes, humans are the strangest of all God's creatures because they run the fastest when they have lost their way. We run because we are not convinced that God will lead us to those green pastures and still waters. Will God really restore our souls? Or is Psalm 23 only a beautiful piece of poetry to be read at funerals for those in grief? Walter Brueggemann says that there are three kinds of psalms. There are psalms of orientation, like when you go to new student orientation or new employee orientation. These psalms help orient us to what life is all about. They help us get started. Psalm 8, God has made you a little less than the angels. Or that psalm that says, how lovely is God's dwelling place. These psalms remind us that God has created all of us and the world around us, the mountains and the oceans, the gardens and the beautiful paths for our joy and gladness, and that we are called to help carefully tend to these gifts. Then there is another set of psalms of disorientation. These are the psalms that portray how absolutely messed up life can become. We gripe at God because the pain of a teenager struggling with anorexia. We lament that God seems absent when our nation grumbles about its fragile future. Fix it, God, we pray. Come on, we plead. These are the psalms of disorientation. Things are not right. And then there is a third type of psalm, not orientation, not disorientation, but the psalms of new orientation. You know, when you go to the movies and about three quarters of the way through the movie, the, the music begins to crescendo and swell, and you know that the tension and the despair is about to shift. It's about to be resolved. The joy of new life is right there. The 23rd Psalm captures this very moment. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, comforts me. The psalmist echoes what many other passages of the Bible proclaim, that God is our shepherd. We hear it if we will only dare see ourselves as the sheep. Isaiah and Jeremiah, Genesis and Micah, and many other of the psalms describe God as that shepherd that protects us, that provides for us, that pulls us back again and again into the fold when we wander off. And John says it in the Gospels. Jesus is the good shepherd. Can we trust that? Can our souls be restored? Psalm 23 is more than a little comfort. Psalm 23 is an invitation to live a new life, to change, 
but only if we see ourselves as sheep, vulnerable. I think of a woman named Nancy who was visiting a retirement community where her cousin lived. Nancy shared her story in the Christian century. She was gathered together in one of those little common rooms and folks went around the room and introduced themselves. Tell what you do and one man said, well, I used to teach music competition at several New York universities, but I had a stroke and now I'm good for nothing. He was visibly depressed. When it was Nancy's turn, she said, I like to write poetry. In fact, I've written a poem about Ash Wednesday. And she looked at the man and she said, I wonder if I could mail you that poem and you could set it to music. And he was stone-faced, no reply. But when Nancy got home, she put the poem in the mail. And three weeks later, she got back in the mail a beautiful original composition setting her poem to music. She learned from her cousin that his whole attitude had changed. He was now enthusiastically composing again, and the irony is that really nothing had changed in his life. He was still a man who had suffered from a stroke, but his perspective had changed, a new orientation. Anne Lamont says that grace meets us where it finds us, but it does not leave us there. And Psalm 23 says, Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. But the word follow, you know, God following you around, it's not quite what it says in the Hebrew. It says God pursues. God pursues you. That goodness and mercy of God pursues you no matter how far off the path we get, no matter how lost God's steadfast love comes for us. What would our lives look like if we read Psalm 23 as the opportunity to become new? A podcast called The Daily tells the story of Abraham Davis. The podcast says that Abraham is a poor white teenager in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He's gotten involved with the wrong crowd and one night, he makes a terrible decision. He vandalizes the local mosque, and he is convicted of a felony. The amazing part of the story is that the leaders of the mosque got together and forgave Abraham. Not only did they forgive him, but they tried to help him get a fresh start in life, to not be burdened by the legal process, but despite their best efforts, Abraham still owed $3,200 in fines. He was working hard at a full-time job, trying to pay the rent and pay off these fines. The mosque received a generous and unexpected donation from a foundation, and they decided to use this unexpected windfall of money to help Abraham pay off his fines. When Abraham found out, he was in absolute awe. He said, it's like a whole new window opened up. And he began thinking that he might even be able to go back to school. He looked back on the terrible moment when he vandalized the mosque. And he said, I want to say that I regret what I did. But at the same time, I don't. Because it's kind of like a flower just sitting there waiting for the right drop of water to tap its petals 
to open up and reveal something beautiful on the inside. What in our lives, what perspective needs to shift, to be oriented anew? You and I, in one way or another, are the lost sheep. We'd like to hide that fact. We'd like to keep up a good front. Go ahead, try to keep it a secret if you want. But in the realm of God, each one of us is like that 14-year-old boy on a bench at the airport, not speaking the language, clutching a little piece of paper with a number on it, wondering, can we trust that God comes like a friend to shepherd each one of us home? <laughs>